Comfort. I'm your host, Paul Comfort, and this is Comfort's Corner, where we bring you the inside story and what's happening in and around the transit industry. And today's episode is chock full of news and information about public transportation. From this, the leading public transit podcast in the world, now heard in 99 countries. And today, we've got a lot of great news for you about our public transit industry, plus some distressing news on the financial side. Then we'll do an in-depth Newsmaker interview with John Rassant, chairman of New Cities Foundation and CEO of Comotion, coming off his very successful LA Comotion conference, which was just held a couple weeks ago. Then we'll take a look at the future of public transportation and what some of the options are that public transit agencies are looking at and using to help them come out of this COVID-19 pandemic. Plus a look at some good news from Alea Carey and Mike Bismeyer on their portions of the program. All that on this episode of Transit Unplugged. Good news coming out of Toronto and our good friend Phil Verster there. Toronto's new Union Station bus terminal has officially opened and it's allowing customers to experience the new state-of-the-art facility located on the northeast corner of Bay Street and Lakeshore Boulevard. The new terminal is a major upgrade from the old one, which had more than 100 million customers travel through it since it first opened in 2003. This new terminal is a welcome advance for many travelers. It also is indoors, which allows customers to easily transfer between GO trains, the Toronto Transit Commission, Via Rail, and Up Express. Congratulations to Phil Verser and the team at Metrolinx for putting this new terminal in place. In other good news, when it comes to amenities, DART in Delaware now offers free public Wi-Fi on all fixed route buses statewide and at the Wilmington Transit Center. John Sisson, our good friend here and alumni of Transit Unplugged, is DART's chief executive officer. He says customers no longer need to worry about running out of data as they access our free Wi-Fi to catch up on work, connect with friends, access apps, et cetera, as DART gets them safely and quickly to their destination. Congratulations, John. Great news and a great, great new amenity to help people feel comfortable getting back on public transit. And now a look at BC Transit across the uh, western side of Canada. BC Transit is currently celebrating a major milestone. They have the 20th anniversary of their double-decker buses operating in the Victoria Regional Transit System. This isn't just a big deal for Victoria, but public transit in general, as these were the first double-decker high-capacity buses to be used for public transit anywhere in North America. The first 10 double-deckers are nearing their retirement and they're going to be replaced this early next year. And they have stood the test of time with millions of kilometers on them and carrying 17 million passengers. Congratulations to our friends at BC Transit for leading the way with double-decker transit buses in their transit system. And now a look at some distressing news from the New York Times. This weekend on the Sunday uh, issue of the paper, they have a major article headlined existential peril, mass transit faces huge service cuts across the US. And the subtitle being reeling from the pandemic, transit agencies are grappling with drastic reductions in ridership and pleading for help from Washington. You've probably heard in Boston, transit officials warned of ending weekend service on the commuter rail and shutting down the city's ferries. In Washington DC, weekend and late night Metro service could be eliminated and 19 of the system's 91 metro stations could close. In Atlanta, 70 of the city's 110 bus routes have already been suspended, a move that can could be become permanent according to the article. 
and a New York City home to the largest mass transportation system in North America, transit officials have unveiled a plan that could slash subway service by 40% and cut commuter rail service in half. Across the United States, public transportation systems are confronting an extraordinary financial crisis set off by the pandemic, which has starved transit agencies of huge amounts of revenue and threatens to cripple service for years. The profound cuts agencies are contemplating could hobble the recovery of major cities from New York to LA and San Francisco, where reliable transit is a lifeblood of local economies. And uh, the financial collapse of transportation agencies, the article goes on to say, would especially hurt minority and low income riders who tend to be among the biggest users of subways and buses. For months, transit officials around the country have pleaded for help from the federal government, but with no new lifeline forthcoming, many systems facing December deadlines to balance their budgets have started to outline doomsday service plans that could take effect next year. You probably heard a glimmer of hope has emerged this, this actual weekend and into this week that we're in right now, the second week of December. A glimmer of hope has emerged in recent days when a bipartisan group of lawmakers called the Problem Solvers Caucus in Congress have proposed $15 billion for public transit agencies as part of a $908 billion framework for pandemic relief package. We'll let you know how that goes. Keep a, keep a look out to my LinkedIn feed and of course the headline news across the country as uh, that could provide short-term assistance to help some of these transit systems get over the hump. Well, that's it for the headline news right now. Stay tuned for our Newsmaker interview with John Rassant, and then at the end of the program, a look at what the future public transportation could look like as transit agencies are responding to and recovering from, attempting to recover from this COVID-19 pandemic and the attendant shutdowns. I'm Alea Carey, a communications consultant who loves working with public transit agencies. If you're leading a public transit agency or its communications efforts, you no doubt have strong relationships with your local media. You pretty much couldn't do your job without these folks to help you get your messages out about events, service changes, all the day-to-day -day stuff the riding and transit supporting public needs to know about your organization. But you could have a lot more going on that deserves attention beyond your local press. For example, your executives might be able to speak to best practices in leading a diverse workforce. People interested in the environment could be interested in your clean energy vehicles. There are a million stories in the transit industry in addition to moving people. Some transit organizations engage a PR agency to pitch stories beyond local press but you don't necessarily have to go to that extent. There are a number of platforms reporters use to search for sources for their stories. These can be set up and regularly monitored without a lot of effort, allowing you to know when reporters are looking for expertise like yours. If you'd like to talk about how your agency can reach beyond your local press or anything else related to communications and public transit, look me up on LinkedIn. My first name is spelled E-L-E-A last name C-A-R-E-Y. Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort, and this is Comfort's Corner. Thanks so much for being with us today, and on our Newsmaker Hotline, I'm thrilled to have John Rassant, 
John is chair of New Cities Foundation, and you may know him mostly, uh, most recently as CEO of Commotion, one of the hottest new transportation conferences in the world. And we're so excited to have him here with us today, just on the heels of a very successful Commotion LA event. John, thanks so much for being a guest today on Comfort's Corner. Hey, thanks so much, Paul. I'm a big fan of yours, by the way, and everything you're doing. Ah, thank you so much, man. <laughs> I mean, it's anybody who writes a children's book about public transportation deserves a medal in my point of view. <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, I'll uh, get that Nobel Prize sometime, I imagine, <laughs> for literature. <laughs> Maybe not for this 32-page picture book, but it is yep. fun. Hey, man, thanks so much for uh, being the guest today. You know, you and I have um, been buddies now for a few years, and you are one of the most exciting guys in the public transportation arena in my book. I mean, it's just fascinating, your background, your career, and what you're doing now, and really the scope of... Uh, the events that you're holding now is beyond anything I've seen. Well, thanks. I mean, uh, we, we, we take great pride in that. And we were, uh, we've been really, really happy with how Commotion uh, LA uh, uh, went in, 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 um, in mid-November. Uh, you know, everybody's suffering. Everybody and his brother and his sister on the planet are suffering from Zoom fatigue. <laughs> so we were actually very pleasantly surprised at around... 2,500 mobility leaders, both public and private, um, from around 50 countries actually registered and tuned in to the three-day conference in Los Angeles. And I think, I think that says to us that mobility and transportation disruption is becoming, in some ways, the issue of the age. I mean, it's really how our cities everywhere on all five continents are going to really... Uh, evolve in the 21st century you know how people and goods move around cities determines what a city is and you know as you know most people in the world live in cities now and so the whole you know the disruption that we're seeing in mobility and, and disruption in a positive sense the changes is so dramatic uh, as as you more than anybody else are aware so I think uh, it's just an exciting field. And the discussions at Commotion LA were really great. You know, we see Los Angeles in many ways as more and more becoming the hub for a lot of these discussions. It's the largest urban car market in the world. It's in terms of the kind of metro area. It's, you know, one of the biggest in the world along with sort of New York and Tokyo. So it's what happens here affects everything else in the world. So we're really, you know, we're really very excited to be here in, in Los Angeles. And of course, as, as you are probably aware, as you are very much aware, we've also launched last year Commotion Miami. Um, we see Miami and Florida developing as another hub for new mobility, certainly in North America. It's become a, a reference, of course, for Latin America and Latin American cities are very dynamic and interesting places to watch now. So yeah, it's 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 an exciting time to be alive. So tell me about the history of Commotion. Um, I mean, starting seems like just a few years ago, and you've become really, in my opinion, the lead event for new mobility anywhere in the world. What what? How did it all get started? Well, we, you know, I personally and we and the team came have come at it from an urban point of view. Uh, as you noted, I'm the uh, head of the New Cities Foundation, we're a large uh, global nonprofit looking at city making around the world and the impact of new technologies on cities and urbanization. Very important field. 
And when you look at cities, you've got to look at mobility and transportation. So when we set up the foundation around 11 years ago, you know, some of our first projects were actually in the mobility field. One a very, very early project was with the city of San Jose in, in California and in, in the Valley where we worked with the administration there and Berkeley, UC Berkeley and um, um, Waze just before it was acquired oh, by yeah. Google to look at ways that social media can uh, positively impact commuting. It was a kind of early kind of project where we, you know, we kind of threw it on the wall, saw if it stick, but it was a year long project. Anyway, so we've always been involved with mobility and, and about seven years ago or so, I just very quickly resume what happened. Uh, Google joined uh, New Cities Foundation because they were starting to really ramp up their investments in, um, riderless in in in, in autonomous uh, mobility yeah, would like later of course like morph into waymo and they wanted i think to understand how it would you know how uh, autonomy would fit into an urban context so they knocked on our door and it was exactly the same time that the same few weeks in fact that uber burst out of nowhere it was a very small san francisco startup and it was starting to offer services in new york and, and elsewhere yeah. and we thought oh this wait a moment, this is going to be huge. And we thought that, you know, the, the, this disruption, as I said, in, in mobility would impact, is going to impact cities everywhere. We felt that keenly and that as an institution that looks at the future of cities, we had to stay on top of this. So we said, let's organize a conference, bring it together, some of the smartest people in the world who think about the evolution of urban mobility. And we had a first iteration of that conference at um, in Mountain View at Google headquarters, in fact. Okay. And it gathered some of the early players in the field in autonomy and, and, and ride hailing and from, from um, departments of transportation. And then we had other convenings in London and in Tokyo. And at the same time, we started looking at the landscape in Los Angeles because um, you will remember that uh, the Garcetti administration in Los Angeles had published about five or six years ago, the Mobility 2035 plan, which was a kind of blueprint for the future of mobility and transit in LA. And everybody like me, I thought LA, that meant one thing, it meant cars and, yeah. and, and, and uh, bottlenecks on freeways and stuff like that. But we came out to LA and we're so impressed with the quality of the political leadership the vision, et cetera. And we thought, you know, LA is going to become willy-nilly one of the key global hubs of new mobility. It's the largest urban car market in the world. It's, 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 it's huge. Why don't we take this sort of itinerant conference, bring it to LA, build it out. And that's how Commotion was launched. It was the first, you know, the first year or two it was called LA Commotion and then we changed it to Commotion LA. Okay. <laughs> So, so it really is, it came out of your role at New Cities? Yeah, it, it, it did. And I think, you know, two things I think define, make us a little bit different, Paul. You know, one is um, the fact that we bring together public and private sectors in kind of equal measure. So, you, you know, you'll know that at Commotion, there, you know, there are dozens of really cool startups. Yeah. And, you know, the Google, there's the, 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 uh, the bigger companies, the Ford, the trapezes, et cetera. Um, but they're also mayors, heads of departments of transportation, ministers of uh, transportation, et cetera. Yes. I mean, we had, 
you know, the Estonian minister of finance was here last year. We, I remember that. I remember when you yeah. introduced him. Yeah. So I think, you know, and, and what is critically important is that the future of good mobility, of, of, of innovation and mobility depends on a very tight collaboration between public and private. And I think that's sort of, that is what will define mobility in the 21st century in many ways, in my view. Yeah. So, um, so there's that. And I think... Um, we also bring a very international uh, yes. uh, uh, cast of characters to the conversation. Yeah. We think cities and countries can learn from each other and they have right. to. So, well, I mean, that ties into yeah. your background prior to this, right? I mean, <laughs> just the perfect place to segue. I want you to tell people what you did for a living before you did this. Phenomenal. Well, Paul, I, I was young and I needed the money. Oh, no, no, sorry, sorry. No, no. <laughs> I think you're referring to, I spent a few years uh, prior to uh, launching uh, the New Cities Foundation as the guy responsible uh, for physically putting together the World Economic Forum annual meeting in Davos, Switzerland, end of every January, which is, you know, the gathering of uh, about three, 4,000 of the, the good and the great public and private of this world. Um, so that was... That was an amazing experience uh, over the years. Can only imagine. <laughs> and I think, you know, in some ways, the work that we're doing today on cities and in mobility grew out of that because yeah. um, at that time, the most of the World Economic Forum felt very strongly that the nation state was the most important unit that would kind of affect change. I took a different, I began to take a different approach um, saying, look, we've got to invite mayors, we've got to invite cities, that's where things happen. And there was quite a lot of pushback, I have to say, which I'm glad for because that pushed me then to create a separate organization that really was focused on cities. City. Okay. That's kind of how it happened. Yeah. I gotcha, that's how you got into new cities, huh? Yeah, but the DNA of you know work bringing public and private together yeah. Uh, having a very kind of global approach, international approach stayed, stayed with us. It's because okay. DNA so doesn't change. What's next for you? You've just started something very cool. Tell us about what's next for you. Well, we think, look, we're really, really, really bullish about uh, the Los Angeles and Southern California region. Because we think that in so many ways, it's becoming kind of ground zero of the mobility revolution. That's really how I see it. If you think about electric mobility, um, you know, electric cars, et cetera, there's no question that this region, SoCal, is, is becoming, in, in a way, the new, new Detroit. And I, we, we, I don't mean that with any disrespect to our many friends in, in Detroit and Michigan, which is also a very powerful hub. But, you know, there are more electric cars on the road here than any, almost anywhere else in the world, uh, you know, as also as a percentage of the number of cars. Um, you know, we're very advanced here in looking at the whole urban air mobility piece, which is, I think, going to be increasingly important and exciting in the years to come. Very, you know, way ahead of almost any other geography in terms of renewable energy. And that's, you know, it's not only electric, electric it's, it's also uh, hydrogen fuel cells. So I think that I'm super excited about. And I think, uh, you know, I was just reading this morning about... Um, new hydrogen powered, um, I think, is it Navi or Transdev buses in Holland, which very, very interesting. And we're, we're yeah. going to see more of that, you know. 
and and it's for the good of our climate and and everything else. So it's it's really it. What a time to be alive, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, so you were starting a new group, though. Tell us about the new group. It's called the Global Partnership for Informal Transportation, and something we've been ex- quietly working on with several partners uh, for the last few months. And basically, if you, you think of people who live in cities, um, most of them actually live in cities of the global south, you know, uh, Delhi, Kinshasa, Kampala, Jakarta, etc. How do people get around? How do people and goods move around the cities of the global south? Well, it's not usually in kind of Parisian style metro or New York subways, right. it, in informal transit networks. So it's sort of you and me get together. We're entrepreneurs in Kinshasa. Kinshasa. We pool our resources. We buy a couple of um, diesel vans and we start our own little service for transporting services. Hundreds and hundreds of millions of people move around cities this way. Yes. Um, and uh, there is not a lot of public transportation systems in the global south. So if you there, there are two things. One is it's it's, it's a very, in a positive way. It's a, it's a wonderful expression of entrepreneurship. This provides employment for millions and millions of people. It allows you know people to transit these cities, etc. Um, but it's also a huge source of pollution. Um, it makes many of these cities very unhealthy places to live. So there's a real need to decarbonize that sector uh, and also to introduce new technologies that can allow, uh, for example, if you take Gojek, which I'm sure you're aware of in in Indonesia, which began in Jakarta, um, which is massive mega metropolis of 20 odd million people, which is one of the largest cities in the world up until recently without a public transit system. So the way you got around traditionally in Jakarta is these um, very polluting, but fun to, to, to go on a little scooters, electric scooters, uh, sorry, diesel scooters. And you would just hail one, you would hop on the back and he would take you where you want to go. So a very smart young man in Jakarta had the idea of like, why not Uberize that? Everybody's got a phone and you know, there's people have smartphones now. And so he launched something called Gojek. A jack is the Indonesian word for scooter. And it's become, uh, you know, I don't know how many billion dollars it's valued at now, but it's become a real unicorn uh, in Southeast Asia. And we see, you know, technology beginning to have an impact like that on these informal systems. So there's no organization in the world that really looks at that and seeks to promote you know, both decarbonizing the sector in the global south uh, and raising the kind of technological level. So it's just a partnership. We're bringing together, you know, UNDP, United Nations Development Program, uh, the German government. Uh, we're working very closely with uh, Benjamin de la Pena, who you may know, who was the um, chief innovation officer of Seattle. He's joining as the first executive director. So we're really, really excited about that. Yeah. <laughs> a lot going on man i don't know how you keep track of it all i don't know either <laughs> so, so uh what's the next big event that you'll be hosting is it is it miami commotion miami it'll be commotion miami in in the very late spring um we think we're crossing our fingers that there will be a, a, an in-person side of that um okay. and i think you know the all the vaccine news looks very good 
Yes. Um, so we're, we hope that will happen. Uh, Miami is such an interesting geography. Um, you, may, you may have seen also the other thing that we're working on in Miami is we launched with our partners, actually the mayor of Miami launched it at the end of June, uh, Commotion Lab Miami, which is a public-private partnership to look at piloting new mobility innovations in the uh, Miami-Dade and South Florida area. So we're super, super excited about that. <laughs> well, John, I, I, I can't tell you how much, uh, how excited I am for you and all the, all the innovations you're bringing to our industry, pulling together the best minds and uh, putting them on one stage virtually or in person uh, so that everyone around the world can see. It's kind of like Davos too, your second act. Uh, <laughs> economics, it's in uh, public transportation. And I look forward to continuing our friendship and our partnership in the years to come. Thanks, Paul. I'm, I'm such a big admirer of, of you and what you're doing at Trapeze and, and of Trapeze in general also. Thank you. <laughs> We're in the trenches together. That's right. Hi, this is Mike Bismeyer, Regional Sales Director for Proterra, and this is Mike's Minute where we talk about mentorship, leadership, and kindness with the hopes that it'll inspire you to pay it forward. As we're in the season of giving and near the end of the year, I will continue to focus on kindness. 2020 has challenged our industry from a financial and ridership perspective with operational implications, and as well from a personal aspect with many agencies losing frontline workers to the pandemic also. Yet through all of this, we have seen incredible acts of kindness, caring, and dedication to continue to provide this essential service and people step up and beyond. In a year that we're yearning for some sort of normal, it's been great to see the last couple of weeks, many agencies adapting to the 2020 protocols and figuring out a way to still give back in their communities with their annual holiday initiatives. From the many stuff a bus and food bank initiatives to volunteering, decorating Santa and reindeer buses, toys for tots deliveries, agencies like WRTA in Massachusetts, CTA in Chicago and TransLink in Vancouver. Simply put, across North America, transit and transit employees continue to make a difference. Thanks to the agencies and their staff for their continued commitment to kindness and the communities they serve and that benefit from these initiatives. The holiday season, Christmas and kindness all go hand in hand. And let's use this last month to look at the positive impact we can continue to make in a year that definitely challenged our positivity. Kindness is cool. Thanks for listening and best of the season. with us today on Transit Unplugged, Comfort's Corner, where we bring you the inside story and what's happening in and around the transit industry. And today, you've been treated to a whirlwind tour, I know, from the headline news articles to a great interview with John Rassant, a couple pieces from Alea Carey on messaging and the kindness that's being shown around our transit systems during this holiday period uh, by Mike Bitzmeyer. Thank you so much for being with us. Today, we want to now take a look at the future of public transportation first off with a look at the future of our podcast <laughs> uh, and some of the guests. Hopefully you've been enjoying some of the great guests we've had over the last uh, couple months. I mean, uh, it's just been nonstop, you know, big names starting with Andy Byford in September and, uh, and then Neil Scales and Rod Staples from Australia, the land down under, and then uh, Magda Robertson from Torrance Connect also was there. And then uh, William Harrell from Hampton Roads, Tom Egan from MV Transportation, a big name guest, Mohammed Mezgani, the UITP Secretary General, 
was our guest uh, on our first program in November. Then we had a really good third anniversary show. If you've never really taken a time to listen to Transit Unplugged podcasts and you're one of the many uh, hundreds of new listeners we get on a regular basis, I'd encourage you to go back and take a listen to our third anniversary show. It's a best of for the first three years, some highlights and clips uh, from some of the interviews. And then Sue Dreer from Pierce Transit, and then an international look from Alejandra Cruz Ross from the United Nations. And now this month, we've uh, headed into Africa with Abimla Akinajo, who is the managing director and CEO of the Lagos Metropolitan Area Transit Authority. That's the biggest city in Africa. She's the, uh, the head of transit there. And then next week, our episode will be with Ronald Wakatare, who is CEO of DART in Tanzania and Dar el Salaam Transport Agency. A great interview. So a good look at what's happened in Africa. And uh, I'm excited that I actually have been invited to be a keynote speaker for the Lagos Transport Fest coming up on the 16th of December, online event plus live there in Africa, uh, where I'll be speaking about the future of public transportation. Then uh, I just uh, finished a great interview with Ben Plowden, who is the uh, works for Transport for London. He's our third guest we've had on over the last few years from Transport for London with Andy Byford, as uh, as I mentioned, being uh, one of those guests. And then. Um, it's just, and then Simon Reed was another guest we had when we visited uh, the United Kingdom last year. And now Ben's on. Ben is the uh, kind of the chief of their COVID response uh, on recovery from and um, restarting and recovery. He's going to be our guest on 1223 uh, on our Comfort Corner episode. Really good interview today with him. And then we'll wrap up the year with Talby Roach, who's CEO of St. Louis Bi State Transit Agency. A great interview with him as well. And we've already got some shows coming in play for you for early in the new year. Uh, Joshua Shank, who is the you know, head of the Office of Extraordinary Innovations at LA Metro, will be our guest on January 6th uh, for our Comforts Corner episode, the very first show from the new year. He uh, will take us into kind of what's happened so far in the past year and what we look like going into the new year. And then on the 15th of January, Ahmad Hasham Barozian, who is CEO of Dubai RTA, will be our guest on our first full Comfort Corner program of the year. So a great uh, lineup of guests over the next six weeks or so on Transit Unplugged and Comfort Corner. Hopefully you are able to tune into all of them. Be sure you subscribe. Uh, you can subscribe on our platform of transitunplugged.com or on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcast and you'll get a note once a week. Then I wanted to take you a little bit into uh, future-proofing your transit service. What's happening right now? I just have finished writing an article for Metro Magazine for their January uh, episode, for January issue. And it takes a look at the future of public transportation, how to future-proof your service, and what the state of the industry is as we head into 2021. And, uh, you know, financially, as we know, and as we mentioned in the headline news portion of this program, many transit agencies have taken a real hit when it comes to operating dollars as their revenues have plummeted due to lower ridership due to the pandemic shutdowns that governments have put in place. As they've started to open back up and allow people to get back to work, uh, ridership increased. But now just recently, at least here across America and Canada, especially here in America, there's been kind of a rebound of the virus shutdowns. And so that obviously impacts the ability of people to ride public transit. So how exactly can transit agencies create programs that encourage innovation and think about service delivery differently going into 2021, I think we need to regroup, reprioritize, and rebound to recapture our market and expand it to new audiences. And there are many ways people have done that. If you take a look at my um, 
I've done a lot of writing on the subject just recently uh, at my employer, Trapeze Group has a blog site for me. Just Google Trapeze Group Paul Comfort blog, and you'll see a number of articles that I've written recently, including the most recent one about how public transportation agencies maybe need to reformulate um, their formula for getting people on transit and focus some on families coming into the new year. We haven't done that a lot lately. We've been focused on commuters and really commuter transportation, which are people riding into the big cities with the big tall buildings, has taken the biggest hit when it comes to ridership. Many agencies are still under 20% of their ridership numbers prior to COVID on their commuter trains and buses because people just aren't headed back on a full-time basis to their offices. And as Ben Plowden told me for the interview coming up soon, you know, there's a good question as to whether or not that will ever come back in the near future. In other words, people are starting to make new arrangements for their work environment. So they may not come back five days a week anymore. They may only come back part-time and then work part-time for home. So how can we model our transit agencies and the service that we offer them to kind of meet the new reality coming out of COVID? Well, some of the other ways, in addition to reaching out to new markets like families that we haven't really focused on for a while, are improved technology, right? So many folks, uh, you know, when I was CEO of the transit system, in Baltimore, when I got there, I spent six months bemoaning the fact that it felt like our technology was stuck in the 1980s. And here it was, you know, 30 years after that. But that is the way it is in a lot of major transit systems where politicians, and I'm a recovering one, as you know, have focused on the new expansion line instead of focused on the, you know, intrinsic safety and security of their systems that come from providing updated uh, and updating their outmoded technology. Well, now more than ever, I think transit agencies and leaders are realizing they've got to get better technology. You know, uh, they have to have kind of what they call the back office software and hardware to make sure that they know where their vehicles are, that their drivers and their operators can check in remotely. All the technology that other workplaces have already adopted in the last 10 years, the public transit agencies in order to future-proof themselves need to get that technology into their service areas. A lot of them can actually save money, even though there's some money up front long-term, there can be savings and efficiencies. They also are moving toward implementing low-touch solutions, right? Anything that allows people to not have to touch anything. And so public transit agencies are now doing the exact same thing. They're moving toward these low-touch solutions, whether it's moving away from traditional cash fare boxes, to e-faring, or touchless, contactless solutions, um, all or you know just automatic doors to open up. Uh, all that information uh, that you can get to your customers as well is also a low touch environment in their own hands on their own phone, right? So that's the third big thing I think that people can do to future proof their transit service is to provide better real time information to passengers. So those are some of the big ways that people are moving to future proof their transit system. APTA recently just did a study with a lot of information about that as well. You can look on their website, the American Public Transportation Association and take a look at that. And one of the other big national associations, CTAA, their executive director, Scott Bogren, has been a longtime friend of mine for over 30 years. He told me that transit systems of all sizes have no doubt taken a hit these past nine months. But he said, our industry has a history of adapting new operations to new demands, while always emphasizing the safety of our passengers and the efficiency of our operations. And he believes 2021 will no doubt see that taking place across the transit field. So there is hope. There is a rebounding hope in transit agencies that we can take this crisis and in, in a sense, turn it into an opportunity to improve the operations of our transit systems, to make them more customer focused and technology driven. And that mobility can attract and retain drivers 
as we head into 2021, even in the wake of this pandemic, I believe. Thanks for being with us today and being part of our Transit Unplugged family. Stay safe through the holidays. We'll talk to you next time here on Transit Unplugged. (music) 